You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, friends. Welcome to this tradition unlike any... Did somebody scream mashed potatoes? That was mashed. <laughs> Welcome in to episode number 32 of Big Drive Energy. 32 is also the Lowest score I've ever shot on nine holes. Um, I am your host, Spencer Smith, here with my brother and, more importantly, co-host of the Big Drive Energy Pod, Mitchell Smith. Uh, I can still see he's got this shit-eating grin on his face because his clubs came in today, his new Callaway irons, and mine are still not here. So, good day for Mitchell, bad day for, for Spencer. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I heard that little 32 comment. Don't bring that weak shit in here. What's your lowest you score on nine holes? Um, 30. Oh, well, good for good <laughs> for you. Good for you. I haven't broken 30. I've tried. I've had opportunities multiple times and never quite pulled it off. And it's just nine holes, so it's whatever. But uh, yeah, my new sticks came in. They look so clean. Um, got the Mitsubishi uh graphite shafts in my irons and the way that the black finish with the the heads it, it just pops like i really pow. i haven't hit them yet pow. and pow i don't i haven't even hit them yet and i'm already just like creaming over how good they look like i i who knows it's just uh, an aesthetics thing for me and then i i got that old school um anybody who played played golf about 10 11 years ago or eight, nine, 10, 11 years ago there, uh, I got that old school Adillo, like lime green, um, shaft. It's not really lime green. It's kind of, I don't really know how to put it, but it just looks so sick with the, the new green Epic head, um, the green, white, and black. And the club just feels awesome. So I, uh, I can't wait to touch them a handful of times all season and 
They'll probably look virtually brand new by the end of the year, so that'll be cool. Can't wait um, to get a crisp seven rounds in. Yeah, I'm all, just... All on camera for Big Drive Live. <laughs> yeah, they're basically just going to be decoration. Um, might just hang them in my garage. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it was, they, they look great, man. The the Callaway's coming out with some cool stuff this year, so... Yeah, before we uh, get into this pod and go over some news and notes, we do have a special guest for you guys today, um, Cameron Dietz, one of our buddies and the current strength and conditioning coach at Utah Valley University. Their men's Division One golf program is currently ranked number seven, John Elway, lucky number, in the country. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about what a daily regimen is like for a college golfer, some exercises and stuff that you may not realize that will help your golf game um, not necessarily the Bryson DeChambeau, uh, I, Cam, I've talked to him about this before and he has, he'll have some choice words for Bryson DeChambeau. So, um, much like we do on almost every podcast, he'll go in on him a little bit and talk about what he's seen with his golfers and really, um, boosted their game and become, you know, a smaller school, but being seven in the country in golf is usually a thing for like a a big school and he's done a great job with that team he was recently named assistant coach of the year at his school so um, we'll get into that a little bit later but first we want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings and gotta crack myself a Breck Brew Apple Pear Good Company Seltzer these things absolute fire they are I know it's like a, a thing we we don't have to say it but these are truly the best seltzers I've ever had they're pushing truly to the curb. They're pushing all these other companies to the curb. Breck Brew has really outdone themselves. And I love that they have their own name, Good Company. I think of a lot of cool puns for that. Um, but Breck Brew, Celty Game, they're in and they're fire. So I have I, yet to touch one, and I am like my mouth started watering when I heard you crack that. I know that's, a, that's probably not a good thing. And I'll also have to ask Cameron if uh lifting a drink up to your mouth counts as some sort of golf exercise i'm not sure if that if that incorporates any um in swing movements but uh, (laughs) i can say it's one of my favorite motions to make (laughs) the hand to mouth is that's a good good golf move if you're having especially if you're trying to have a good time uh so let's get into some news from this week uh pretty crazy news from tuesday Uh, unfortunately i don't want to get too much into this because it was already covered like crazy. Uh, I There was about as much news coverage on them picking the car up out of the ditch as there was the riot at the Capitol a couple months ago. Uh, Tiger Woods, of course, crashed his car. At the time we're recording this, we don't know too much information other than that he's okay. The From the tweets that I saw, the injuries are not life-threatening, which is a good thing to hear, of course. Um, obviously golf is way in the background. Tiger Woods, of course, is known for his golf, but he's just a polarizing athlete and we really want to wish him the best and hope that, you know, I don't care if he's back for the masters. I mean, selfishly, yes, I do, but I just want him to be okay. And I know he's just coming off the back surgery. So it looks like if we do ever get Tiger back again on a golf course, it's going to be, um, a prolonged absence at this point. Yeah, it's it's just wild to think about and um, not trying to make light of it whatsoever. But he's had issues with like cars in the past and driving. And um, Eric Hallberg tweeted, he's like, how does this guy not have his own personal driver? And why? I've never thought of that, but that should be 100% going forward. 
Um, it's not like he can't afford it or anything. He should just have a driver. He could have avoided a lot of issues um, having his own driver. And like I said, I'm not making light of it. It's absolutely terrible. But it's just like, why Why is that a bad idea? And apparently, uh, from what people were saying, he left the golf course agitated. Like, he kind of got in his his car and kind of flew away and actually almost hit like a TV truck on his way out. Like he was steamed about something. Obviously nobody knows what that was, but he was probably driving angry, not really focusing on, on what he was doing. And everybody's a, a victim of that. You know, sometimes you're driving and driving is the last thing you're thinking about. And, and so prayers up to tiger. Hopefully he can come back. And even if he can't ever come back to golf again, which would be a travesty, um, just pray that he's, He's in good health going forward, and we just wish him the, all the best. So Yeah, going back to what you said, it is honestly insane to me that a lot of these professional athletes, <coughs> Melvin Gordon, don't have drivers that can prevent these things from happening. Like, how silly is it? Like, I don't want to spend $30 on an Uber, but that's more money than I make in an hour, generally speaking. These guys make $10 per step they take in their in their respective sports and and things like that even more than that so it is crazy to me like if I was a team owner or I don't know who gives who makes the rules for teams or Tigers like agent I'd be like dude you're not driving yourself anywhere I'll have a guy sit in the parking lot while you play around I'm sure somebody would be very glad to do that job and drive you anywhere you want to go so yeah pay the dude a decent salary and just literally have him go everywhere with you that that seems like, and like you said, dude, there's so many athletes, it almost seems like it's a pride thing. Like, oh, I can drive. No, I'm fine, you know. And I'm not saying that with Tiger because they said there was no uh, no substances in his body at the time of the crash. So there, I don't think he was impaired by any means, but uh, it just kind of takes, takes some uh, a variable out of the situation that could possibly save your life or just keep you out of harm's way, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll move on to last weekend's golf tournament. Our bets went over, so that's fun. We won't get into that too much. We're gonna uh, take. We fucking this... suck at golf betting. Yeah, dude. Like I, always, I feel like I do a ton of research, and it just we're just gonna start flying off the handles and giving picks of random players, um, and then go from there. <laughs> and if they yeah. win, they win. If they don't, it's just random. But I'm sick of doing all this damn research on PGATour.com and trying to find out players that are supposed to play well and then they don't. And the DJ bet was lame because he was like in second place and then just had a terrible Sunday. Our boy Tony Finau finished second again. And Max Homa, the homie, um, actually funny story about Max Homa, not really funny, cool story for my personal gain, is uh, one of my friends, Kevin Fitzgerald, was actually one of Max's really good friends and caddies when he was coming up and before he got made it big on the PGA Tour. I went to school with him at UCCS, and he was, uh, like I said, Max's friend. They grew up in the same city in California, and he knew him really well, and he was like, watch out for this guy on tour, and this is 10, 11, no, 9, 8, 7, some, 7 years ago, let's say. So <laughs> I'm just counting down. But it was about 8 years ago, probably. I was a sophomore or junior in college when Kevin came into the program. And he was like, watch out for Max Homa. And I was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Everybody's got their friends that they think are good. And now he's back in the winner's circle. 
Well, I mean, going yeah, back... you probably said that about me, and now here we are. <laughs> here we are doing a podcast. <laughs> Talking about oh, how much shit. we like to drink how on the, the golf how course. the turntables. <laughs> oh, how the turntables. Now we just like to drink on the golf course and be semi-pros. <laughs> Basically. But uh, Max took home the trophy, and kind of cool thing, connecting it to Tiger Woods, which is not as great now, you know, that he's in the light that he's in currently, but he did had a, had a tweet that... As a kid growing up, he'd always go to the Genesis Invitational and he tried for seven years to get a high five from Tiger Woods, and now he's standing at the end of the at the golf tournament receiving a trophy from Tiger Woods. So really cool story like that. Um, that's what what makes golf so awesome is like guys like that who grow up like idolizing Tiger Woods, and uh, all of a sudden they're getting a trophy from him. Oh yeah, it's it's wild, and I think that's another thing that. Uh, it gets mentioned quite a bit, but I'll just say it again. Uh, guys like Max Homa, and there's so many you could go down the list, but the P- all these PGA Tour players were directly inspired by Tiger Woods. Like So many of these guys are doing this for a living because of him. So his impact has gone so much further than the golf course. He's touched so many people's lives, and a lot of different ways, like a lot of different ways. Um, some good, some not good, but a lot of good. Um, he's done a lot of really good stuff in his community. He's inspired the entire world of golf. I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably picked up a golf club or watched the majors for Tiger. You know, it's he is he's a brand. He's not uh, he he embodies the entire sport. Like he is the sport of golf. Um, I don't think we'll ever see anybody else like him. And he changed the game like just so crazy. And like you were saying, it's so cool that that Max Homo was just standing out thinking about Tiger handing him that trophy. And it's got to just be a surreal moment for him. Um, Quick notes, though, uh, in the playoffs. So Max absolutely uh, pissed down his leg on the 18th green. He actually, what was kind of funny, so he missed like a three three foot, three inch, three three foot, four inch putt. Um, it moved a lot, had a lot of movement to it. And that 18, uh, green at Riviera is notoriously tough, especially that back left pin. But Nick Faldo is actually right for once. Um, most of the time I can't listen to the dude's voice. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me, not the accent, like the accent's very charming, but the actual words that come out of his mouth are, um, hot garbage. So he, and Faldo actually said it correctly because he heard Homa tell his caddy he's playing a dead center. And Faldo's like, I actually like right center. I mean, uh, you know, that, that putt does move. And you could kind of see the slope. And I don't know if Homa was trying to keep up the pace enough to, to take out the break. But it did a full-on in-and-out, whip-out. Um, and to be real, uh, the playoff was not that impressive uh, golf-wise, I mean, they both made pars, and then uh, Max, Max basically made two pars to win it, uh, which was, the way he went about it was very impressive, because he got absolutely hosed on that Y on uh, the 10th hole in the first playoff hole. Um, I thought we could count him out, and I really couldn't see the angle, but I was like, oh, he's he's hosed, like, there's no chance. And then he, he pulls off a, a great shot, Hood's hooded a little bit of a wedge it looked like and kind of just hacked down at it and part of that's luck too but the 10th hole was so tough that uh i think he kind of knew that four might be able to push it 
and Tony naturally came in and underperformed, had a fairly straightforward pitch shot that he uh, hit to about eight feet, missed that. And then Tony just hit a, a pretty poor shot um, on the second playoff hole. And there's so much green to the right. Uh, the 14th hole out there, Riviera is tucked way far left. There's so much green over to the right, and Tony short sized himself pretty badly. I mean, he had a, a pretty long bunker shot and did pretty well to get it to about 10, 12 feet, but then uh, didn't even come close on the putt. And Max, Max hit a great shot, kind of a little bit dangerous. He hit it in between the the pin and the bunker. Uh, maybe a little bit of a adrenaline going there. Overcooked one just a hair, but. It ended up about 12 feet, and it would have been, would have been really cool to see him make that. But uh, you know, you can't let one of those get away from me, and you end up three jacking it from 12 feet. We're all too familiar with that. Um, your brain goes from two to four really quickly. <laughs> so smart of him to just uh, get it close and kind of put that pressure on Tony to make that that putt, and he didn't. So Max, uh, Max, the most impressive part to me was the way he mentally hung in there after he missed that putt on 18 like a lot of guys would just chalk it up to oh it's not my week you know oh like and especially after that great wedge shot he hit i mean i tweeted it out but i was like this is almost a foregone conclusion like max doesn't miss these he's a good putter and he missed it and so just the fact that he hung in there and and made a couple of solid pars was was very impressive yeah one of my buddies that i also went to school with who's now uh, the Western Washington teacher of the year. His name's Keith Bennett. Uh, I didn't realize why he was so big and getting so many views on Instagram, and then I figured out that he gave Macklemore golf lessons. So I was like, okay, you're probably a pretty big deal then. Uh, but he was tweeting about and putting on his Instagram story. He does, like, lessons through the Skillist app, but he was talking about how impressive Max's demeanor was when he got hosed in that with that lie. And that a bunch of amateurs would just freak out. And even me, who's quote-unquote professional, I would have freaked out seeing a lie like that. And he just handled it like a pro and didn't worry about it. So, Oh, yeah. And there, there's a handful of guys that would, uh, uh, more than a handful, that would get really rattled even out on tour. They'd be like, what the fuck is this? They'd be freaking out. You know, golf, golf gods are against me kind of thing. But... Um, you can't have a great recovery shot if you don't get a shitty lie to begin with, you know? And so he hit a great recovery shot. And, uh, actually that both of those guys, Finau and Homa had both birdied that hole the last two times they played it. And that pin wasn't in a super tough spot. I mean, it was tucked kind of front, but Homa, uh, they, they both had a decent look at up and downs, but they, uh, I would say they both underperformed a little bit in the playoff and Tony Fina is just walking home with about a probably six or seven hundred thousand dollar check with his tail between his legs, you know. Um, sorry, another prayers up, another second place. Yeah, yeah this one yeah. even more heartbreaking than the others. Prayers up to him, and and I think that's another podcast I'd like to do. Um, another topic is talking about some of the greatest players to to never win um, a major, or you know never really break through that seemed like they had all that potential. And I mean, where Tony's come from, if people don't know, he was on the big break, uh, the old golf TV show as a 16 year old. Um, and Spencer and I watched that religiously. Like that was one of our favorite shows back in the day. We would, what were we probably in high school at the time? Yeah. High school. 
Yeah, and we would watch it every Monday morning or Monday night when it was on, and that was one of our favorite shows. And he's really the only guy from Big Break to ever do anything, but he turned pro when he was 16 and was was playing out on mini tours. I mean, he was actually Sean Fisher, our good buddy, played with him a few times out in some mini tour events in Arizona and Utah. And the guys had game for forever, and that just goes to show you, I mean, this is we'll beat this drum again, like, Tony's been doing this for at least a dozen years now, you know, and and he beat it around mini tours for six, seven, eight years. And I think he has like a shitload of kids. Um, he's Mormon, so I think that has something to do with it. But he like I, I really don't know um, how that it, it can kind of put you in one or two spots. If you're a mini tour guy, you either play harder and make more money or you just quit and find a nine to five or to to feed the uh, mouths you've brought into this world but he stuck through it i think he had some pretty good sponsors back in his his younger days and he didn't even win the big break he got knocked out pretty early but i want to say it was like five years ago he qualified for the canadian tour um and just bow raced the canadian tour he just got hot his putter got hot he's always been a really good ball striker and his putter got really hot and he went from no status to PJ Tour status in two years, and now his career earnings are over $20 million. So it just goes to show you, you know, if you stick with it long enough, and you obviously there's some talent involved, but it, it's more work ethic. There's at least 100, 1,000, 10,000 dudes out there that can hit it as far as Tony and, and have a lot of the same general skill set as Tony. I mean, I saw about 100 of them at every mini tour event I played in. You know, these guys are hitting at 3, 330, 340. And, and so he just, he's got that will. And, and for every one of him, there's a thousand guys that are exactly like him. So I, I don't think he's going to look back at his career and be too upset about it. Um, obviously, winning the big one, winning, winning tournaments is cool, but making a living playing golf, making a great living playing golf, there's worse things in the world. So. Um, and Tony's always been a, a really good guy. Everyone was saying, like, why can't we just have co-winners of this? Because Max and, and Tony are two of the favorites in the locker room um, on the PGA Tour. So everybody's like, I wish we could just crown them both champions and move on. So, uh, Yeah, Max, kind of- Max is an absolute hero on Twitter. He is one of the funniest guys there is on Twitter, maybe the funniest PGA Tour player. And another, just a few stats from, from him for the week he started the week with 11 consecutive one putts, which is the first time, uh, the most by a tour winner in the Shotlink era, so the last who knows how long. And he was also bogey-free in his last 26 holes. So real real stones from him coming into this tournament and just taking home the dub. I mean, it's one of those tournaments where there wasn't that high of a, you know, the leaders were at 12 under by the end of four days. So not, you know, it's three under each day. A little bit tougher venue, of course, on the PGA Tour, and then the winds, and we tweeted out some videos of the crazy-ass winds they had to deal with. It was just a all-in-all pretty tough golf tournament, but congrats to Max Homa. Yeah, absolutely, and and one other thing, I don't know if you've heard about this uh, conspiracy theory within golf, but apparently the Puerto Rico Open is an absolute career bender, like it it will uh, ruin your career. I, I don't think... I think there's one guy, I can't remember his name, you know, great research on my part. Um, I think there's only one guy that's ever won the Puerto Rico Open and won another PGA Tour event. Like, there isn't, 
a hint. Well, obviously, every other dude who's won the P- or Puerto Rico Open has not won on tour since then. So it's almost where it's like the Cleveland Browns of uh, uh, of golf tournaments where careers go to die. You know, you win that thing, you're just hosed forever. So um, kind of a weird statistic, and I don't know if it has any merit to it or not, but uh, I really feel for Tony, man. It's tough tough making almost a million a week you know just with all these second place finishes just a rough life so before we get to our interview with cameron deets we want to tell you guys about DraftKings sportsbook i know it's not quite march this is the last week of february but march madness is just around the horizon so if you haven't signed up for DraftKings sportsbook using that code dnvr do it now and they're doing a promo all up until march madness where all you have to do is bet one dollar in a basketball game bless you $1 in a basketball game, and either team hits a three in that basketball game, and you automatically win $100. It's called a no-brainer bet. Basically, you're starting your account off with $100. You can only deposit you can deposit 10 and you automatically have $100 in your account, and you can just take it to the moon from there. Um, so you can just bet $1, win $100 anytime this week on any basketball game of your choosing and you want to get into DraftKings because March Madness is one of the most bet on most fun things to uh, wager on to gamble on all the upsets all the fun bets you're going to be able to make all the brackets you're going to be able to make so you want to hop into DraftKings and use that code DNVR now well DNVR comma now so you can get into the fun for March Madness so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use the promo code DNVR to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week promo code DNVR for new customers and get a shot at 1 in 100 odds on any basketball game only at DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply, winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. On to our boy, Cameron Dietz. Four! All right, and now we have our special guest on for the week, uh, Mr. Cameron Dietz. You can follow him on instagram at coach cam 10 and at on twitter at coach cam 10 he posts a lot of awesome workout videos he's the current strength and conditioning coach at utah valley university in what city is that in orem orem utah so sure sounds like a real fun place we do hate on utah here a lot being from colorado cameron's from colorado too so it's fine we'll all hate on utah together even though he lives there cam what's up man how you doing Good, you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you on. Um, we originally had this podcast scheduled for a little earlier in the week, um, but Cameron forgot it was his own birthday, so we had to we had to push it back a little bit. Yeah, true. Actual facts here. So <laughs> you can't make that up. When you turn 28, it doesn't it doesn't mean as much. Nobody cares even less than they already did last yep. year. Happy Happy birthday! You're old. <laughs> Oh shit! Well, actually, so we'll just tell the people real quick. We we went to high school with you. We kind of we grew up playing like travel baseball with you. There was some some real fun car rides, some uh, some partying in high school that we did. We had we had quite a few good times, if I can remember correctly. Um, but then, tell us a little bit about like so. What was your path after high school that's kind of led you to this point? Yeah, so I wanted to. Uh... I wanted to work in pro baseball for a really long time because um, I wasn't good enough to play. 
Um, so I like toyed with journalism maybe and, you know, kind of thought about a couple different things and then just kind of fell in love with like sports performance and working out in the weight room and everything. Um, so when I was at, you know, when I was an undergrad with Spencer, um, started, uh, like that was my major, like, uh, exercise science. And so got my bachelor's degree there. Um, worked in a private facility with uh, middle school age, high school age, you know, um, even some older clients too. Did some personal training, hated it. Um, I got some like uh, advice um, from a couple professional strength coaches with uh, like the Pirates, the Astros. And they told me to go get an internship. So I, um, first internship I applied for and got was uh, University of Delaware. So drove out like two weeks after I got hired. Is that the Blue Hens? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so how how yeah. is that? Um, it was, it was different. Um, you know, I, I had never really left Colorado, like, especially when it comes to like living. Um, you know, like I'd like I'd gone on vacation and stuff, but like I'd never lived anywhere else. Yeah, and so it's just different. People are different. The weather's different. It's humid. Um, you know, are they all so, assholes back there? Um, no, I mean, like they drive better than people in Utah. So you know, so it's you know, it's so that crazy. makes the rest of the country that drives better than people in Utah. Yeah, it's 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 Utah and then everybody else. No, but um, <laughs> you know, it was it was a good experience. Um, got to work with basketball, volleyball, um, football primarily. You know, just main Olympic sports and football. So that, that was my first experience really collegiately. Um, when I came back, I was able to work a little bit at UCCS when I got back. Um, and then from there, I got a chance to be a graduate assistant. So uh, pretty much they pay you like a, they pay you like a college athlete. So I think I was making 1200 bucks a month. And they also paid for my master's degree, so making less than minimum wage. But, uh, you know. Wait, they pay college athletes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. The stipend in your degree. I mean, like, the way you look at it when you're a GA is you're, um, you're, pretty, you're pretty much in the same exact boat as um, any full-ride athlete, minus basketball. Basketball makes more money, but um, <laughs> it's, it's a fact. Um so, like, if it, you know, I was, you know, making enough to get by, and I uh, got my master's degree up there in exercise physiology. So, worked for two years there. Um, took another summer internship after uh, graduation at the University of North Texas, and then took the job here at Utah Valley University. So, been here for a year and a half, I guess. Didn't you work at Northern Colorado too? Am I crazy? Yeah, that's where I got. That's where I was a GA. Was Northern Colorado. Uh, okay. So. Went from Delaware, came back, uh, worked at Northern Colorado, went down to Texas, worked at North Texas, and then now I'm in Utah. So four different states in, I guess, five years, four or five years, something like that. So You missed, you missed working with Ed McCaffrey by a few years. Yeah, um, you know, just got up there. The staff's still the same for the most part. A couple of the people that I worked, you know, like the director that's still there, he's still working with football there. Um, and then the guy that I was a graduate assistant with, Payne, he's uh, – He's an assistant there now, so still uh, that's pretty well. Real quick, I know that this is a golf podcast, but um, what what is that? What does hiring Ed McCaffrey do for uh, a program like UNC? They should be a lot better. 
<laughs> well, thank you, Madden. Like, yeah. I, like yeah. what in way of recruits and way of like? Well, does he move the needle? Yeah, he moves the needle a lot. Um, for them, I and this is just what I've heard from. And again, I'm still close with that staff because I know the, the strength staff there still. Um, they have, I mean, they've got they've got more than twenty like FBS Division One drop downs. So guys that you know maybe they they were stuck in the depth chart or they weren't getting as much playing time as they wanted or they didn't like the school that they ended up committing to or they played with Ed, they played for Ed McCaffrey in high school or whatever the case is. There's a bunch of guys that left like Power Five schools to come to UNC including his son that just left Michigan. And so his, let's see, not the oldest son uh, is like a coach on the staff. He's the wide receivers coach. The, oh, I did not know his, that. That's pretty cool. His, yeah, so his oldest son is a wide receivers coach, I believe, at Northern Colorado. Um, Christian McCaffrey is obviously playing for the Panthers still. The third son was a quarterback at Michigan, and he just transferred within the last couple of weeks to Northern Colorado. And the youngest son just entered the transfer portal from Nebraska, but I don't, I, he's not, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to have both of them. Like you, you can only play one quarterback. So he's the other son. I don't know where he'll commit, but yeah, they've got, I mean, his, his, the, let's see the third son. I don't know the names, but the third son, he was a four-star recruit out of high school at Valor. So like he's, he's a four-star quarterback that's transferring to Northern Colorado. Like, yeah, they're they're instantly better just because of that. If not, all the other guys that have transferred, like they've got guys that transferred from CU. They've got guys that I I wouldn't be shocked if there's a guy that I want to say there's a guy that transferred from like Arkansas. Like they have guys that have left higher football to come down and play. Let alone if you have a coaching staff that can you know implement the right play calls and stuff like that, and you know they're able to produce. I don't see why they won't be instantly better. If if they don't finish 500, I'd be shocked, honestly. And and I know I still know most of the guys that are the seniors there now were freshmen when I first started. Um, so That's badass. Got, yeah, so they've got a they've got a solid group of guys. I don't see why they wouldn't instantly be better. So yeah, uh, uh, real real quick, I was gonna say I think Valor has more funding than UNC does. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, the facilities, everything, it's fucking nuts to me. Like, and they're, they're just turning. Go ahead, I'm I sorry. Guarantee, I guarantee that they sell. From when I went to football games there, I wouldn't be shocked if Valor had at least five times as many fans at every game. <laughs> that is asinine, dude. And that's Colorado, just... that's Colorado high school football. When you go to Texas high school, they're selling out 40,000, 60,000 seat stadiums. Yeah. And UNC was getting a thousand people. So they're going to be better. I, you know, it, it, it'll be instant, you know, just because sure. there's, so many, there's there, there are better players that came and whether it was because they came because of him or whatever the case is, like they're there, that's a program that should be significantly better than it was last year. Yeah. Putting Luke, themselves on the map. Luke is transferring to Louisville. That's where he's going. And I, Ooh. and I was, I had read when I looked up, the third brother and I had I saw on Instagram that he was transferring to UNC. I looked and saw that the youngest brother had announced that he was going to transfer, but I didn't hear where yet. So he, you know, him ending up and and he and, and the kid that transferred to Northern Colorado it wasn't like 
his only option was to go play for his dad. Like he, he had other options that were still, you know, power five schools. So um, they're definitely going to be better. Love it. So moving on into a little bit of uh, what you're doing now at Utah Valley. So you guys are currently ranked number seven in the whole country in division one in golf. So congratulations to that. That's awesome. Um, I was looking up some stats and stuff. It looks like you guys took second place in the Pizza Hut Pat Hicks invite, um, 26 under for the week. A uh, guy named, or it was in St. George, so kind of in your home state. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your guys were comfortable there. Uh, well, so one thing we talk about on this podcast a lot, and I'm sure your guys have to deal with this a ton too because they play tournaments in other other states. You know, like they played the last tournament they played at, at Goose Creek in California. They have to deal with the the distance difference and like adjusting to that. And I'm sure so. I'm sure playing at home ish in St. George with a little bit more altitude, they were super comfortable there. Um, some of your kids like uh, Gabe Lyson, he was seventh in that tournament. Brady McKinley uh, shot sixty five in the first round and was actually leading after that tournament. And Kai Aguchi finished twelfth at four under. And every kid on your guys' squad was even or under par for that tournament. So. Um, really good start to the year what have you been like seeing from these kids and and it looks like when we were looking up your roster you guys got a lot of kids from like the pacific northwest and in vancouver and like canada yeah so coach curran recruits canada and i and like heavily um are the recruiting class and like when you hear about recruiting classes a lot of times with like team sports you hear you know football signed 20 guys or whatever you know so golf's recruiting class this year i think is only two but one's from hawaii and one's from canada again and i think that the biggest thing that i've seen is you know they've they've been successful recruiting canadians and i don't know how far back it dates to before i got here but i can say that currently if you have a kid that comes in and he's from canada and he plays well the kids that he played against in Canada are like, oh, like, yeah, you know, so-and-so Kai is playing at Utah Valley and, you know, he loves it or whatever. You know, I, I still keep in touch with him. So when Coach Curran, like, reaches out and says, hey, like, you, know, you want to come play at UVU? It's, yeah, like, it, it, you make that, um, you know, it's like a, it's, I think it's technically it's, um, it's not a blue-chip prospect, but, like, in football they consider, like, states that you consistently recruit, like, important so you know um cu for a long time texas has been a, a state that they always recruit it may not be like where they're from but at the same time you get this uh, consistent pattern of kids from your area that go to this school and it just kind of breeds and it builds on itself like oh yeah you know uh kai's been successful down there uh sean's been down you know all these canadian kids come down they're successful I think that, you know, when and, and I can't speak totally on recruiting, but I mean, the common sense part to me is if you're a really great high school golfer in America and you get offers from Utah Valley or uh, Clemson, where are you going to go? So if you're a Canadian golfer and you get an offer from, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, let's just say CSU in Utah Valley, but you have kids that you played with or played against growing up or guys that you're, you know, maybe your siblings know or whatever that are at Utah Valley and they're not at CSU, who's to say, like, why wouldn't you choose UVU, right? So I think that there's that consistent, like, ability to recruit kids that are maybe a step above kids that you could recruit from America. 
Um, it's, that's super common. That's super. So when I was at Northern Colorado, I worked with tennis. The men's tennis team had a guy from Spain, a guy from France, three guys from England. Um, you know, and it's the same thing. You're able to get higher quality athletes from different countries potentially because, you know, they, uh, they want to go to America and experience that for, you know, four to five years. Um, and somebody's going to give them the chance to go and, and, you know, pay for school. And, you know, they look at it as like, cool, I get a degree, but like even the kids that were, that played tennis, they didn't really care about the degree. They cared about the four to five years of experience of like going to a different country. It's like studying abroad, but getting a degree and, and getting to play your sport because when you're playing, like if you stay in France to play tennis, you're playing like on television and you're nationally ranked, right? So you can go to college and still get paid, you know, get school paid for and get a stipend and everything and still play tennis, even though you're not good enough probably to continue to play in England or to continue to play in France or Spain or whatever. Um, so I think the same thing can be said here for golf. Like you just build this consistent presence of Canadian golfers and they're obviously talented and they they want to come here and they want to play. Um, yeah, actually, DU, I know, is kind of the same way. They have nine international players out of ten on their roster, or at least when I was looking to maybe try to get recruited by them, that's what it was. There was uh, one kid from America on their entire roster. And, and like you said, that does make sense because uh, it's a comfortability factor, I'm sure, with recruiters where – they're like, I know these certain high schools produce certain and, – and golf's a little tougher, you know, because there's football powerhouses, there's uh, baseball powerhouses and so forth. But golf is a little different because you can find some diamonds in the rough here and there. But generally, I'm sure once you kind of get in a comfortable area where you have recruited kids and you kind of – you open up that pipeline, like you said, of, of former athletes who still t- stay in touch with – uh, kids who are now current athletes and they're like, oh, I love my experience. The coaching was great and all that. So that actually does make a lot of sense. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, well, like, remember Dietz when we were in, uh, when we were at UCCS and the basketball team was balling and we were, like, playing Metro State and they were ranked number one in the country. Half of their team was from, Aus- whoa, Australia. Like, you looked up at their roster and, like, they had the same pipeline of kids coming from literally across the entire world to come play at Metro, and once you get a few of them and they like it, they just continue to flow. And, then, you know, I'm sure for the coaches too, you know, they kind of they feel comfortable. I'm sure the co- the golf coach at UVU feels comfortable going to Vancouver and going up to Canada and recruiting, and, and he's got almost like a name there where people are like, oh, this is kind of a pipeline type of deal. Right. When you think about it, you know, um, if, if I want to recruit hockey, like, all the best Canadian kids are probably playing at – you know, Minnesota, playing at, you know, North Dakota, uh, playing at all these powerhouse hockey schools, right? So when you think about golf, you don't think about Canada. You, or I'm sorry, when you think about Canada, you don't think about golf. You know, you think about hockey. And yeah. so you get these kids that, like, they're they're good golfers, but they, they fly under the radar because they're playing a sport that their country isn't known for. And so, you know, you get a kid that, you know, let's just say he averages par coming out of high school at, um, you know, pretty much any course that he plays. But because he's in Canada, he's not getting looks from, you know, the schools that are trying to recruit kids that play, like, par golf coming out of high school, for example. I'm, I'm using yeah. a decent golf. Well, though, but, be, yeah. Because there's already so many of those kids in America, they don't even look to Canada. 
So the Canadian right. kids just kind of get forgotten about, I'm sure. And right. honestly, that's pretty much the same as trying to get recruited out of Elizabeth High School because I was averaging just under – I was averaging 72.8 my senior year and didn't get a single offer. Um, so that was like, really? I know there's plenty of programs that could use – a golfer that shoots about even par but like you said if if you don't get eyes on you you, you know you kind of go with your best option and it's actually very smart of them to recruit that way because you know it's it's such a tough thing if you're just throwing pins at a, a board of america or the all of north america you know it's you can't you can go and find any good golfer in any town but to really kind of zero in on on a certain area probably seems like a really good strategy when it's been working, you know, I think that's the thing is like, they've consistently been getting better. Um, one of our, you know, one, one of the guys that would normally travel because of COVID and stuff, he stayed back. Um, so one of our top five golfers isn't even here and, you know, we're still playing this kind of golf. So that's I think awesome. the other piece, the other piece, and I'm like, I mean, obviously I'm a, you know, strength conditioning, athletic trainers, you know, even, um, like academic advisors, like we're, we're support staff, like that's our title, you know? And so, I mean, the credit goes to the guys, the credit goes to the head coach that recruits them, you know, all that, all the credit goes to them. Um, my job is just to help them. But I will say that the one thing also this year specifically, our roster size is really big. So we have 13 right now on the roster and that's not including the kid that didn't come play this year. So we would have 14. Um, and you only traveled five, or at least we we traveled we traveled seven in the first tournament and had two guys play independent, and then we had uh, traveled six, one kid played independent. And I think from here on out they'll go five. Um, and when you look at it, you say, "Wow, like one third of your team's traveling." You know, that's that that in itself makes it it makes every practice round that you play. It makes every practice, it makes every single thing, it, it puts way more pressure on you to continue to play well. And at the end of the day, I remember talking to some of the guys and, you know, oh, you, you know, golf, it's, you know, it's you're, you, I, you, I don't really play well under pressure. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do on the 18th hole when you're tied for, you know, shit, you could be tied for 30th, but in the team score we're tied like legit yeah. tied first and you're you're the fifth guy on the on our on our lineup and and it's the 18th hole and you need to hit par yeah you know are you gonna sink or swim are you gonna cruff are you gonna fold like a lawn chair under that pressure or are you gonna like you know rise to the challenge and i think that that happens in team sports you hear about that kind of stuff all the time bottom of the ninth two outs i gotta get a base hit um, you know, fourth quarter, minute left, I gotta I gotta get a first down. Those things happen in team sports all the time, but people don't think about it, in my opinion, people don't think about it as much in golf because traditionally people play golf for fun. But when you're playing golf and that's your sport, there needs to be a sense of urgency, there needs to be a sense of pressure. And I think that having a large roster has done that a little bit this year. Um so that's one of the things that I think has helped us. I'm not I don't think that it's it's something that's sustainable. I don't think, you know, like you said, DU's got, we said nine or ten. Uh, DU's got way more funding than we do, I promise you that. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, paying for memberships for these guys to play and practice and, you know, for the gear and for the travel and all this stuff, 
you know, it's it's not sustainable to hold a roster at a mid-major school of 15. But we have it at the moment, and it's helping us in that way, I think. It's helping us in that, you know, handling pressure, you know, situation. That totally makes sense because it seems, well, it just, like you said, it brings a more sense of urgency to it, and it brings more competition. Like, there's, you know, even if you're the two or three guy, you know that all these other 12, 13 dudes could go out and, and shoot two, three, four under. And if enough of them do it, then you can get bumped out of your spot. You know those other guys are capable of that. So you constantly have to push. It's like a you can't take the day off and expect to just travel to that next event because you know there's guys behind you that are hungry for that spot, which is really cool. And I also agree with you in the, uh, in the team sport of golf sense because – Golf is, is so branded as individual that if you're having a shitty day out there, you just kind of mail it in. Like, oh, it, I this my score doesn't affect anyone other than me. I mean, that is traditional golf. But with team, like college golf and even high school golf, you, like you said, you could shoot 82, but if you shot 83, your team could lose the tournament, you know? And, and that's a little bit of an extreme case, but you're, you're always pushing – no matter what, no matter where you're at in year round, you don't know where everybody else is at. So you're trying to do what's best for you individually, but also for you as a team, which I think is, is super cool. So, yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, go ahead, Spence. I'm I was just going to say, so what, uh, do you know, what is the process like each week or how does it work as far as who gets to go to those tournaments? Is there's like a, do they have to play in? Is it a, is it a you know coach's decision? How does that all? Do you know what goes into that? Yeah. So from what I understand, uh, they played a qualifying round, and it was they played legit three rounds because they normally play thirty. Uh, gosh, eighteen times three, thirty-six. Fifty-four. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Cam Cameron Dietz, good, was, at, good at strength and conditioning, that, not good at math. No, I know. I was. I count in fives. Um, no, but I. Um, uh, I was thinking about baseball. So, you know, uh, 36 innings is how many innings they played last weekend. But, um, yeah, they, I mean, they played 54 holes. So they went and played three rounds. Um, and I, I do not know what course they played at, but they did go down south because the weather was, was cruddy here. So they, they took the entire team down, and they played three rounds. Um, and this was maybe a week, week and a half before their first tournament. And – Coach took the top seven guys, and it was pretty much like you're you're going to play in. Um, top five guys are going to go, and I'll we'll have a coach's decision for the the final two. So one of the kids was a coach's decision because he wasn't able to go because he had tested positive for COVID before he left. So he or before the team left, so he wasn't able to play. Um, he transferred from Idaho or Idaho State, and he's he's one of our top five guys. So coach knew like I'm not going to. I'm not going to punish you for getting COVID. Like, it's not your fault that, you know, you got a burrito that had COVID in it or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he knows, he knows a burrito with COVID in it. I, I, I never. But, you know, so he, he was a coach's decision, and then pretty much he took the top six guys. Um, and then, obviously, they played so well in that first tournament that it's like, I'm not going to shake things up. But they did drop one guy because um, he didn't play well, and so they were down to six, but that last, like, fifth, sixth spot, they tied in that first tournament. One was playing independent, and one was playing, obviously, as the five spot. And um, 
And so he was able to get uh, an extra spot for him in this last tournament. Um, from here on out, he'll keep this top five. Um, for the rest of the semester, I don't know. I do know that I I would believe that if something, you know, if it golf's in a good spot because, like, if we have COVID and, you know, we've got to have people quarantine or whatever the case is, we've got enough guys that, like, at least we could play in the tournaments. I, I was going to ask you that, like, because NHL right now has expanded, like, their active roster for, like, a ta- quote-unquote taxi squad. Is that why? Or was this just coincidence that they ended up with 13 guys? Because this is a great year to have that, you know, like you said, guys uh, test positive for COVID and all of a sudden, you know, you could – and they spend a lot of time together, I'm sure, or probably not as much this year. But you've got a guy who tests positive and he, he's in close contact with three or four other players – you know, that could put you in jeopardy of not having enough guys to fill a roster. So right. was that was that coincidence or was that was that kind of on purpose? Um, I, I never asked, Chris. Um, I I would think part of the part of the reason for the size of roster was we recruited guys thinking that guys were going to graduate. And when guys didn't. Oh, that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, the extra year of eligibility backed up a little bit. And I think that's what. That's what happened. I mean, baseball's got 47 right now, and normally they're not allowed to have more than 40, and they travel 35, right? So um, there's unlimited roster sizes right now um, because of that, because of that extra year. Because they don't want kids that got recruited to, like, essentially get screwed over. Um, And then it was up to the universities to choose whether they wanted to, um, out of their own budget, provide or match the scholarship for the graduating people so for example softball um we have three seniors that would have left last year and they utah valley honored their scholarships we had a fourth she decided not to come back so they would have honored four scholarships but three of them came back so the roster for softball this year is about three bigger than what we would have had Right. Okay. So let's just say, and I don't, I don't actually, I don't honestly know the the scholarship number. Like I know baseball is eleven point seven five. That's the NCAA limit for scholarships for baseball. So let's just say the softball is the same, right? You got twelve scholarships. So those three that they decided to bring back don't count against that. So there are schools out there that honored their you know, extra year or these, these super seniors, I guess they honored their scholarships. And, you know, let's just say that their graduating class would have been, uh, 10 and they were all full scholarship. Well, if the university decided to honor that, they not only have 10 full scholarship athletes, which are probably going to be your better athletes. Right. But they're also probably recruiting 10 other girls. And so now instead of having 12 scholarships, they have 22, and so that team's got to be deeper than the teams that have 12 or in our case, you know, let's just say 15. Right. So with golf, I think that that was part of the reason, but you know, okay. part of it's just, we didn't really, we don't need to cut anybody. You know, it's, we're in a, we're in a position where um, the guys that aren't traveling, you know, a lot of them are local. And so like, it's not like, it's not like they're, uh, having an expanded roster, it might be like, it works out. 
right with this with the whole COVID thing. But at the same time, I don't know if that was the goal. I just think that we have a big roster. And I do know, talking to Coach Curran, that it was, like, it, he thought about, you know, like, yeah, we're, we're going to make it competitive. Like, we've got five spots, and you're going to, you know, you're either going to crumble under that pressure like I talked about, or you're going to do well, and we're going to travel the five guys. Um, so, you know, it, it does work out with COVID. I mean, baseball just had to cancel their whole weekend series against Bakersfield because of one positive case. Oh, and because, you know, because they were sitting on the bus next to, you know, they were within six feet of these guys, and they sat on the plane, and that, that guy was around these guys. You know, and it's like, okay, like, now we don't have enough guys because there's so many different contacts. And we got to wait five days to get them tested. And by the time we get them tested, like, they just canceled the series, you know. And so, bigger, definitely, bigger de- Yeah, definitely worked in your guys' benefit for sure. Um, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's get into this a little bit since this is more your specialty. Um, so, kind of a few questions. Uh, first of all, what what is your main focus when you're working with the golf guys um, in a, purely from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Um, and then also what, what do you feel like translates and we're kind of, I'm not, I don't want to cross up sports here, but what, what would you say is most similar to golf in the way of movements and, and muscle energy and, I, I'm just using technical terms. I don't know what the fuck they mean, but you, I think you know what I mean. Like, what is most comparable in another sport to golf, and what what are the main groups? Because I'll just start off and say this: um, I don't know shit about uh, like phy- phy- the physiology of any of it, but it would seem to me that flexibility is a huge aspect, and anybody who doesn't think flexibility is a huge aspect of golf is an idiot. And then also like shoulders, hips, and then also like ankle health, knee, like joint health, I think has to be kind of a, a big thing too. So I, I want to get your opinion on that. So for me, there's, you know, there's always been this debate on like what is strong enough, right? Like for a long, Absolutely. Time, um, for a long time, and this is across all different sports, but um with the National Strength and Conditioning Association, their recommendation was like being able to back squat double your body. Like that, that was strong enough, right? That was strong enough, but it was like for what? Like to do high intense plyos, and then what is a high intense plyo? Is like is that like jumping from off the top of a fifty inch box? You know, like that's that's a like I can I can back squat double body weight, and I don't want to jump off of a fifty inch box because I weigh two sixty. So it's like, you know long enough right and so that's been a debate for a long time and i think if you ask certain people they'll tell you different things i'll say that golf traditionally and you guys may be able to speak on this it's not a it's not a weight room sport right it's not like these kids if all they do is golf they didn't get in the weight room when they were freshmen and how to squat learn how to clean learn how to do you know whatever learn how to lift so most of the time when i get these guys and, and girls because i work with the girls team too uh my goal is just to teach them how to to lift with getting injured you know I, we don't do anything like really really complex or really really complicated uh we're really good at doing basic things and we do them every single time they come to the gym uh so we'll always do some kind of squat which if i'm trying to make it simple it's you, you, we're going to bend your knee 
Um, we do some kind of hinge or like flexing it. So like, um, like when you load to jump, like you strip strings and you push your hips back. So your knees stay slightly bent, I, like an RDL, right? So we learn how to bend at the hip. We learn how to bend at the knee. Uh, we learn how to push things. So like a push up, as simple as that. We learn how to pull things. So like a TRX row or a chin up, like pull yourself up. And then really the thing that I think separates us a lot is like we learn how to brace or we do a lot of bracing. So we do a lot of um, anti-rotation and anti-flexion. So like a plank or, you know, different different variations where you're working on stability through your midsection and, and through your side as obliques and low back too, right? Um, so once we're like good about that, we've, you know, we're, we, we squat well, we move well, we do these things well then it's okay we're going to really focus on getting strong and once we get our strength up to a certain point then we're going to work on moving light weights fast so like i'll always tell my athletes it doesn't matter how heavy the weight is i want them to move it like it's light right or i'm sorry i want them to move it like it's their one rep max so like if you go in and you squat and you can only squat 200 pounds I want you to squat 200 pounds as fast as you possibly can. If the bar has 100 pounds on it, I want you to move it like it's 200 pounds with like intent, right? I want you to stand up as fast as you can because, and, and what I'll tell them all the time is you may chip and you may putt, obviously, like at not full strength. But if you get the driver out, you're swinging the driver, not maybe not as hard as possible, but you're swinging it fast. So when we're in the weight room, we do things, when we're doing things that are light, we do them fast. We're not going to do things light and slow. It doesn't make sense to do, right? Almost like an overspeed type thing. Um, I mean, we're just we're just emphasizing intent and speed no matter what we do. I'm going to turn the light off. Okay. Um, but like, you know, no matter what we do, we're going to emphasize we're going to emphasize intent and we're going to emphasize speed no matter what the weight is. I like um, that. So for us, you know, we'll do these movements. Let's just say the, the main things that we'll do, um, golf's one of the few sports that is played. Most sports, when you consider like running, foot is on the ground at a time. So when I say like played on two legs, I mean both feet are on the ground. Um, even in a golf swing, you have to transfer your weight and rotate, but you're also producing force. So for us, the two things that we, you know, most bang for our buck normally are going to be trap bar deadlift. And, and so if we can get our fronts, and the reason we front squat instead of back squat, and like I said, the, the gold standard is what, double body weight. So the reason that we don't back squat is because it is harder on your low back. There's more torque in that joint, especially when the lower that you squat. And so if the bar is on your back and there's more torque in your low back and probably the most common injury in golf is low back injuries, we're just going to take that movement out. That doesn't mean we're not going to squat, but front squat is a safer variation of it. So for us, we try and shoot for 1.6 times body weight for front squat and pretty much how the math breaks down is you should be able to front squat 80 percent of what you back squat so let's say that i have an athlete and they're able to front squat uh 200 pounds their back squat max is going to be 240 and 
nine times out of 10, that is 100% true. Um, for us, 1.6 is, is kind of that gold where it's it's 80% of double body weight. 1.6. It should be 1.6. Anyways, <laughs> so that's kind of our goal. Now, I I have kind of, especially with golf, I've kind of been changing my mind a little bit, even with baseball, on that because um, the sports science and football strength staff at Alabama, and they were new this last, I want to say just this last year, Um the old strength coach took uh, took a job at Georgia, and so they brought in um, the strength staff from Nick Saban hired the strength staff from the University of Indiana, and they don't put as big an emphasis on strength. They put a lot more emphasis on speed, and so their gold standard, I want to say, is like one point seven times body weight for back squat, which translates to less than front squat. Right? So it's about one point three, one point three eight, one point four. Which all that means is is that like if I weigh two hundred pounds, my goal is strong enough to score. Um, so originally for me, if I weigh two hundred pounds, my goal is to be able to squat uh, three twenty, right? But if I move that percentage down to one point four, my goal then becomes squatting. Uh, let's see, two eighty four times. Yeah, 280. So it's a more realistic goal. But at the same time, if I can front squat 280 pounds, that's you're pretty damn strong. Like we've got, I've got a handful of guys that will squat 280. Um, I I probably have one of, if not the, yeah, probably one of the strongest men's golfers in the country. To be honest with you, um, he's just he's just built different. Like he he literally he could probably walk onto a football team. And they would probably not blink an eye at the fact that he's going to probably show up in trial for safety. Um, is he actually good at football? No. But <laughs> he, like we know this. He'll admit this. But um, it doesn't mean that he doesn't look the part, right? Very strong, very athletic. Um, yeah, there's so there's we, quite a few guys like that in golf. I mean, you look at Dustin Johnson, who could be uh, like an Olympic-level swimmer or – uh, Bryson DeChambeau looks like a linebacker, you know? Well, <laughs> well and then we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, that's strength. It, 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 generally speaking, I would say there's a demographic of people who fall into a golf category. And you don't mm-hmm. have to be strong to be good at golf by any means. No, 100%. And, and, and the guys that, you know, the guys that aren't as strong on the team, they'll say that. But the guys that are currently traveling right now, they're pretty damn strong. So we try and build, like, if you think about it, like, our goal is to teach them how to move, right? Because I'm not going to have them come in and not know how to do things and be like, all right, let's lift heavy. So, like, we spend a long time doing it right. And then once they do it right and they look good and they know how to do it, then we work on producing more force, right? And so that's the way I look at it is, like, you have your house. Like, if I – my house is built on a, a foundation – and if I have a weak foundation, I'm going to have a less stable house. If I build a house on sand compared to concrete, then the rush of the waves on the beach are going to knock over my house, even though there could be a lot of money spent on the walls and on the ceilings and on the chandelier that's hanging in the entryway. But, like, I got to have a foundation of concrete. And so for us, it's that strength. And so I want to be able to produce more force. So if I'm an athlete and I go from deadlifting 400 pounds to 500 pounds, I can produce produce 100 pounds more force 
into the ground than I could have before. And then once we get to that certain point, and that's what I was talking with all these numbers, right? Once we get to the point where I'm with our goal, right? Once I can produce that much force, I'm not going to spend as much time focusing on continuing to build that foundation. My foundation is set. The concrete's poured. We're good. I can produce this amount of force based on how much I weigh. Now let's focus on, you know, framing the house and putting all the, you know, putting all the things in the house that I want. I don't, you don't, you guys never, you never, I don't, I don't think about what my house is built on. I just know that I live in a house, right? And it's a sturdy house that's built on concrete. But if you, you know, if you don't have that foundation, you think about it a lot because uh, a strong windstorm could knock over your house or, you know, whatever the case is, right? So our focus is to try and build that foundation once it's there and we're strong enough. And that's why I used all those numbers. It's, it doesn't really matter. But like, once we're strong enough, then we can really focus on moving weight fast. And that's where I think that we've seen the jump, especially this year in, okay, now we we're stronger because we've had two years of lifting with camera or two off seasons, two falls. So now we know we're strong enough and now we're moving lightweight fast also. And that's, it, that's been resulting in a higher swing speeds. That's been resulting in further driving distance. That's been, you know, and, and if I can drive the ball a little bit further than you, and I may not be a, gol- a good golfer, but if I can drive the ball a little bit further, I may be able to use a club that I'm more comfortable with on my second shot, or I may be able to drive all the way to a point where I can chip. And the guy that I'm playing against or matched up against, he's going to have to, you know, rely on not chipping after a drive. He's going to have to rely on on hitting an iron and then potentially chipping or hopefully hitting a perfect iron shot, right? That's how's my golf lingo. But, you know, like, like <laughs> if you can drive the ball further, you can produce more force, you're a better athlete. And if you're a better athlete, like, you should be a better golfer, you know? And, and if you move the weight well, you can lift heavy. Like, if you do it right, you're not going to get hurt. And um, the flexibility piece comes in, we do things right. Like when we squat, we squat all the way. Like we don't do half squats. You know, we, the only thing that we do that's partial range of motion, like it would be like a trap bar deadlift. And it's because the, the bar isn't sitting on the ground. It's, you know, it's, it is on the, the plates are on the ground and then the handles are elevated. So it's a little bit more of a mechanical advantage for when it comes to how high you are from the ground. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we want to produce more force. And then once we produce enough force, right, we have the ability to do that. And then we want to do it fast because swinging a golf club is fast. It's like throwing a baseball. It's, it's fast. There, there's nothing slow about swinging a driver, right? So that's kind of our intent there. Um, you know, we do, we do med ball work. We do, you know, like I said, we do the core work and and you know, all these other things, but really at, at the base of what we do is in the off season, we build the, we build up our ability to produce force. And then once we're strong enough, we start to work on, or we focus more on moving lightweight fast. So does your, does your golf coach, does he like, do you guys have meetings with like, not necessarily golf, but just coaches in general where they're like, Hey, you know, our athletes are deficient or not as efficient in something that I want them to be more efficient in. So you guys push that more that in those next couple of weeks or 
do are the coaches kind of stay out of the weight room and you kind of just that's when you guys the strength and conditioning people and, and depends guys, on the coach depends on the coach so like you know i i try and over communicate with my coaches so they know what we're doing and why we're doing it um you know i have i have all five of the coaches that i work with top to bottom are all great um you know they they have seen the difference in the athletes from before i was here and now that i'm here and so they trust me to do you know some trust me more than others but they trust me to do whatever it takes to help their teams you know that's my job i my job is to help. I'm support staff, right? I'm there to help them improve. My job is never to take away from their ability to play golf or to play softball or to play soccer. Like my my job is to help them do that better. Um, so at the end of the day, yeah, I, I, I we talk quite often. I actually uh, the men's golf coach lifts with the team, so he knows exactly what we're doing because so. He comes in and he works out with the guys. They like it. He likes it. Um, so if he ever has questions for me or I ever have questions for him, he's there whenever the guys are there. Um, so, you know, that's a unique situation. That doesn't happen with all my other people. But for us, it's worked out really well. That's awesome. So what does the day in, like, the life of a college golfer look like as far as do they work out with you every day? Is it, you know, do you work out less before tournaments um, just to prevent any sort of injuries or, or soreness or anything like that? Or is it pretty much the same no matter whether they're playing competitively that week or not? I think I heard all your question, but you broke up a little bit. Um, we, um, we will, we will cater the volume most of the time to tournament time. So, um, we still will live heavy, uh, in season right now. They lift Tuesday, Thursday as a team. Um, in the off season, ideally, I'd like to have them go, you know, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where they have a day in between. Scheduling's hard uh, because I have so many teams, because so many teams use the facility. Uh, so this year we did Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it's the first time that I've ever had a team train, like, lower body and then upper body and then lower body. Most of the time I train all like I train my team very similarly we just you know I'll use different exercises and obviously different intensities based on their schedules and stuff but uh most of the time it's it's we're going to train legs we're like I said at the very beginning we're going to squat we're going to hinge we're going to push we're going to pull we're going to brace and I do that every every lift um so this year in the fall we did like squat and hinge we did more legs though than just like you know a couple movements we focus purely on lower body and core and then we went tuesday upper body and core and then um thursday lower body and core again um but right now they go tuesday thursday uh i have different workouts or different percentages i guess based on you know if, if guys are traveling i'll probably you know those five guys that are traveling i'll probably have them go a little bit lighter or you know there are some weeks that they only lift once like i saw them the travel guys i saw them today um they weren't here tuesday because they had just finished their round of golf so or their last round in the tournament so um one to two times a week um i will have i you know speak like i'll have all the guys come in tomorrow uh, and it's it's optional and they're they're to the point now where especially all the travel guys they will want to come um 
they will want to come in and work out now because they're bought into the fact that they're better athletes now than they were. And so tomorrow they're coming in for an extra day because um, they want to continue to get better. We have, I think they play the next round, they play the seventh. So like I have pretty much the whole team coming in tomorrow um, because they want an extra day, you know? And so you build buy-in and like a, like a culture of success because they see that they're better. They see that they're playing well. They see they're hitting the ball further and, you know, top to bottom, they enjoy it. And so they want to come in the next day. So it's really hard to say like what days they come in. I'll, I'll cater to anybody that wants to come in and get extra things done. Um, my strongest guy, he wants to come in and he's like, like, listen, I lifted heavy today. I think, let's see, they trap our deadlifted today. And I want to say that we hit a single at, no, we hit three reps at I think 85% of their max. Um, so my strongest guy was deadlifting uh, close to, let's see, 450 pounds for three reps day. So he was like, I'm I, like, I don't, I don't want to lift tomorrow, but I want to do some, like you talked about mobility, flexibility, stuff like that. I want to work on T-spine and being able to, you know, rotate through my upper back, which is how the body's supposed to work, not rotating through the low back stuff with him um, anybody that wants to join him he'll do that and, and we've got some younger guys that want to lift heavy because they still aren't at that like standard of like okay i could still get i could still improve when it comes to how much force i can produce so i want to lift heavy tomorrow and we have you know more than a full week off before we play again so they want to come in and they want to lift some of the guys don't you know we'll we'll make it optional for them uh you know on those optional days we'll, we'll give them whatever they think they need that's cool, dude. Um, another question: Do you do you work with them on flexibility, or is there a, a totally different entity on like flexibility and like I don't know if they do yoga classes or anything, or or is that ultimately your job is to deal with flexibility and preventing injury on top of the strength? So strength, like when I talk about a foundation for house, for me, in my opinion, if you're strong, you're you're less less fragile. Right. I'm stronger. I'm to handle more stress because my joints are used to holding, you know, whatever, a lot of weight and being able to move it. Um, and so I'm less fragile. I'm less likely to get hurt. And therefore, like, that's my injury prevention almost is like we're going to get strong and guys don't get hurt because of it. Um, if you if you go into the weight room too much, way too soon without learning how to you're going to get hurt. Um, it's not a matter. And so we, um, when it comes to flexibility and mobility, I take them through a movement screen and I look at, you know, how far can they work external rotation with their hips? Um, we'll do a little shoulders. We do a lot more shoulder. Like I care more about how much shoulders move in baseball and softball, but I care with golf when it comes to like t-spine rotation and the ability for their upper back to rotate and their ability to for their hips and shoulders to separate so we look at that we measure that range of motion and we have found that when they play their sport they consistently rotate as much as they should and it's not like they're getting muscle bound or anything that's preventing them from rotating so we don't like specifically work on like, okay, we're going to stretch or whatever. You know, when we warm up, we stretch. When we, we go through certain mobility drills to focus on 
um, internal rotation of the hips, which will help us swinging. It'll help us throwing if we're if I can throw in sport, right? Um, so we work on those things every day, but we don't specifically go, all right, let's, um, you know, let's lay down and, and have you guys stretch out your upper backs by, you know, uh, you know, reaching over here and, you know, rotating your hips or, you know, we don't, we just don't do it. We just don't, I, we don't find the need when we do their T-spine range of motion is what it is and it's not decreasing over time so you know we're not gonna if it ain't broke they'll fix it right so we don't mess too much with that yeah absolutely i mean as long as you're not losing flexibility because that's my one of my big things is uh, a lot of golfers well even just athletes get to the point where if you're gaining so much muscle that you're losing flexibility then you're probably not making yourself a better athlete you may be getting stronger and kind of going back to what you said about being strong enough you know what is strong enough and where's that kind of happy medium between i can always i can be stronger but that that doesn't mean it's going to benefit me as an athlete so uh that does make a lot of sense yeah and i think if you do um the most some of the most flexible people in the world and some of the most mobile and um most impressive athletes in the world are people that squat way below parallel with like three times their body weight and they're like Olympic weightlifters, Chinese Olympic weightlifting team, the most impressive human beings on earth. I don't care whether LeBron's still playing basketball at age 50 or whatever the case is. Like those guys are super mobile, um, super durable, super strong. And they, when they lift, they do it perfect. Like they don't do, they don't add weight if they can't do it well, you know? And I think that a lot of people, if they get hurt, it's because they can't do whatever they're doing in the weight room. They can't do it well. If you do it and you move well, and you know from day one your goal is to do it per- as, as perfect as possible, and that's the priority, then you're less likely to get hurt, whether it's on the golf course or in the weight room. Um, and like I said, we don't have, have like this, you know, um, you know, we've got Kai and Brady specifically, those two have put on a lot of muscle, but because we don't do like a jabroni bodybuilding, like, you know, we don't do curls, we don't do a tricep extensions, we don't do, you know, like shoulder lat raises, and we don't do anything that you would ever consider like what a bodybuilder would do. And they've put on just, they put on plenty of muscle and they have not lost any flexibility because what we're doing, we're doing what humans are supposed to do. Like I said, push squat, you know, all the, all the, all the primal movements that I talked about. Right. So we don't do anything extra. That's, you know, gonna, gonna keep them from moving the way that they did before they came here. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, we really appreciate you fucking joining us for this pod. Um, Shout out to Utah Valley. Your guys' team is balling. Hopefully that continues this year. And uh, it's cool to see like you doing what you're doing and the and the players, like you said, buying in, becoming wanting to work out more, wanting to come in more because they're seeing the the difference that you guys are making and you specifically as a coach are making on them and making on their bodies and their athletic ability. Yeah, and, and like I said, it's all on them. Like. I, I give them the tools to succeed and they happen to be following it and they'll continue to be good. I don't see why they can't. I mean, in this last tournament, they finished fifth, but every team that they beat 
well, most every team in our conference they they finished in front of, right? So um, I don't see any reason why they're not going to continue to be successful. Um, so let's let's hope they keep it up. Hell yeah, man! Well, good luck the rest of the year. We really appreciate you joining us and. Uh, hopefully all those athletes out there continue to kill it and uh, you you're a big part of that so congrats man we're really proud of you appreciate it congratulations thanks for thanks for coming on and talking about it with us anytime four really want to thank our buddy cameron deeds for hopping on this podcast with us um if you guys aren't following him do it follow him on twitter at coach cam 10 on instagram at coach cam 10 as well Posts a lot of great stuff um, as far as workouts and stuff like that. A lot of good information from him there on uh, him growing the golf team and making them a lot stronger and making them a lot better. As you can see, a smaller school ranked seven in the country. So if you guys aren't following us on Twitter, you can follow me at Big Drive Spence, Mitchell at Big Drive Mitch. Until next time, we will talk to you guys later. Peace.